What's going on, guys? Mike back with Hobby Talk Episode 2. I'm joined on the podcast today by Nate Blackford, an experienced card collector who has a vast Barry Bonds collection. We'll also discuss the rise in interest in the 1990s insert cards, and we'll talk a little bit about the YouTube sports card collectors community and all it has to offer, especially Nate's popular Baseball Card Junkies TV. I do have a favor to ask you guys listening right now, whether you're listening on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or YouTube. I'd appreciate your feedback if you could take a moment to let me know how things are going. Also, if you have any suggestions for upcoming topics, I'm all ears. And, of course, if you could subscribe to the podcast, that would always be appreciated. So now we're joined by Nate Blackford. Nate, I appreciate you joining the podcast. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. Should be a lot of fun. So, Nate, you are uh, you're pretty active on social media. You're a member of various Facebook groups, but uh, I think what you're best known for on social media is the YouTube community and your part in that. Uh, you have your channel, Tops85401, which is quite successful. I know a lot of people enjoy that channel. You've been doing that for years and years, but you also have a... Uh, channel that you started and your co-host of baseball card junkies tv a channel that i know a lot of baseball card collectors across the country and probably honestly across parts of the world uh tune into when you guys do shows and uh tell us a little bit about how you got started with uh youtube and then how baseball card junkies tv got started all right well i mean i got started on youtube similar to a lot of stories I hear from other YouTubers, and that is just, I remember just watching YouTube videos and searching for, like, videos about baseball cards, and, and I just found a bunch of channels I liked a lot. And when I was first watching YouTube, I didn't really have the ability to post my own videos on YouTube. I didn't have, like, a webcam or anything, but as soon as I had that ability, I started making videos of my own, and I didn't really know what the community was about when I first started making videos so it's just something that I kind of caught on to and uh, as far as my two channels um, the baseball card junkies TV channel is something I started with my buddy Eric uh, I'd say about I don't know two years ago or so now it's been a while and we we decided to start that channel because we wanted to kind of be ambassadors to the hobby and help people that are either getting started with the hobby or people that are getting back into the hobby. Um, I mean, almost every adult collector, at least, I mean, almost every adult collector, I'd say, has at some point left the hobby and then returned. And any time that that happens, because there's so much change in the hobby, there's just a lot you need to learn when you get back into the hobby. And then, uh, and of course, if you're a new collector, it's just going to be a complete mystery on what's going on. So we try to provide a lot of uh, information to teach people about, uh, about the hobby because there's a lot to know. Yeah, and for those listening on some of the various platforms, so this podcast, for people who aren't aware, are, is published on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and also YouTube. So a lot of people might not even be aware of the vast resources of YouTube um, it, it's just something, it, it's an incredible uh, resource for collectors. You can reach out to other people, and you can connect to other people, and you can kind of be entertained by fellow collectors. But beyond that, you can really learn a lot. You can um, catch up, 
with Nate's Baseball Card Junkies TV is a great example. And like you mentioned, uh, being an ambassador for the hobby, kind of uh, kind of getting people back into it or even younger kids who enjoy uh, social media and that's their way of finding out stuff and finding information. It's just amazing the resources on YouTube and all the stuff you can learn because there's so many people on there. There's so many collectors and everyone has their little niche that they're into. Some people are into grading, some people are into raw cards, some people are into rookie cards, some people are into autographs, inserts, all sorts of stuff. And, you know, when you have all these people who focus on little groups, you can learn a lot about all those various um, parts of the hobby. Because the hobby, as you said, is continuously evolving, growing, changing. Yeah, and it's, I mean, there's just so many, like you said, subcategories of collecting. I mean, I've learned about hundreds or well, not hundreds but dozens of different subcategories of collecting over the years so i'm always surprised about how, how how many different ways and different things that you could collect which makes it a lot of fun it's not one dimensional yeah absolutely and uh, i want to talk a little bit about baseball cart junkies tv because i know that's that's really interesting to me it's entertaining i mean i've been watching you for years and you know, I've gotten to know you over the years, which has been great. Meeting you in person at the National was incredible. But your regular channel, love it, watch it all the time. But I notice a lot of people are finding Baseball Card Junkies TV. And if I'm not mistaken, I think that surpassed your regular channel in terms of subscribers. I could be wrong on that. But I just, I know I, I've seen people in different forums and stuff in the past where they're talking about, there's a discussion going on about, you know, how did you get into YouTube or various stuff like that. And I see baseball card junkies TV mentioned a lot. So that's something that obviously comes up in the search a lot. And I know I've actually met people at card shows who've talked about YouTube and they've brought up baseball card junkies TV. So it's certainly a, uh, an interesting, uh, interesting channel for sure. Yeah, it's, it's got kind of a catchy name, too. And you know what's funny about the name of that channel is Eric's wife is the one that came up with the name for that channel. <laughs> so my co-host, we were, we were, like, trying to think of different names for it. But, I mean, it's, it was just kind of catchy, and it, it, we, we decided that would be a good, good one to uh, call it. And, I mean, really, I mean, as collectors, we are. We're a bunch of junkies, so we can all relate to the name of it. <laughs> I think. Yeah, and it, like you said, it's catchy. It sounds great. And, uh, you know, I think there's a dynamic. Whenever you're on screen with another person, you can kind of bounce ideas back off one another. And I think that definitely um, is a little different. You know, most channels on YouTube in terms of baseball cards, you know, it's a single person doing it themselves. Not all of them. Some You have some father-son stuff like that. But I think two of you doing it together is definitely great and now with the way youtube has evolved over the years you can re pre-record something and set it um and publish it whenever and people can tune in but you also have the option now for live videos and i think that's kind of made things more interesting as well where you guys could be at a card show and pop on you can do a live show and you know or if something comes up say someone breaks a record or something new comes out you pick something up or you just have time you guys can hop on live and interact with everyone who's watching the channel and i think that uh allows people to do questions ask questions and get them answered immediately and you know i think that is appealing to people because they can you know get your thoughts on stuff immediately 
Yeah, yeah, we have, we, every time we go live, <laughs> time goes by so fast, like, I'll look at the, the clock, and I'll be like, wow, we've been on here for like an hour, hour and a half, where did the time go? And so, yeah, we have a lot of fun when we go live. And also, a funny thing, like what you were saying about having a channel with two people, is a lot of times when we're recording videos, I forget that I'm recording a video, because it's just like Eric and I hanging out and talking, and us just being real candid, and I think that's what a lot of people like about it as well, is just us being us, you know, just a couple of regular guys that collect cards and, you know, just doing and saying things that a lot of collectors can relate to. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So you guys out there want to go, uh, go just hop on YouTube. You search Tops 85401. His channel's going to pop up. You search baseball cards in general. I'm sure both his channels will pop up. But Baseball Card Junkies TV for sure. I know that's always at the top of the search engine, and I highly recommend checking it out. It's a lot of fun. It's entertaining. And beyond that, you get a lot of great information, a lot of insight from a longtime collector, which is what I want to jump into next, Nate. Uh, how long have you been collecting cards? Well, I, I mean, like the first time I ever, I was introduced to the hobby like in 1978. You know, like it's just a little feller, but my dad would like buy packs for me. But then I didn't really collect much. I mean, I'd look through my dad's old vintage cards from when he was a kid. But when I really, really, really got started in collecting was 1983, when I was buying packs with my own money and, you know, saving up all the nickels and dimes and quarters and dollars and whatever it was and going get two, three packs at a time. So 83 is the year I really started collecting. And then you mentioned when you were talking about baseball card junkies TV, the trend is that people collect and then they usually take a break at some point in their life for whatever reason. Maybe you go to school, maybe you get married, maybe you have kids, maybe you just lose interest for a short while. But it seems that most people that collect at one point always seem to come back. Is that a, is that a situation you found yourself in? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I've actually met a collector that has, has collected continuously from the first time they started up and through their adulthood. But for me, when I was 18, I stopped collecting, or, or 1990, so I was 17 or 18 years old. And I didn't collect at all. I mean, I might have bought a few things here and there, but for the most part, I did not collect at all. And then I picked it back up in uh, late 1997 and was going full force by the time 1998 rolled around. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting hobby, and it's something that I collected. Um, I got started in 1989 was the first time I was introduced and kind of took off from there in that early 90s boom with my dad and then I want to say the uh, early 2000s kind of got out of it slowly got out of it but I was still I was always collecting something sports related I still went to the Phillies have charity sales every year so I was still doing autograph stuff with that and I was big into the McFarland figures for a while starting lineups all that stuff um, so I did take a break from cards for a while, but I found myself in the same situation at some point, just got started slowly. And then next thing you know, a few years go by and you go, wow, um, yeah, I've amassed a lot of cards again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what really got me started back into collecting was like the big home run numbers. I remember in 97, McGuire hit, uh, I think it was 58 home runs and Griffey was up there. And then by the time spring came in, 
1998, everybody was talking to McGuire, assuming that he was going to break Roger Maris's single-season home run record, like at the very beginning of the of the baseball season, because of how many homers he had been hitting the previous two years, and then that just got me collecting full force, man. After that, I was just, it was on. Yeah, I remember McGuire's stuff just absolutely taking off back there. You couldn't. Uh, yeah. It's. I think I remember seeing like base cards going for like seven and ten dollars. That you know. You could probably oh. yank out of a dime box now and probably could have gotten out of a dime box before, but it yep. was insane. But it was a fun time for baseball, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed that summer. So, speaking of home run records, it's well known that you are a big Barry Bonds fan, Barry Bonds collector. Do you consider yourself a Barry Bonds super collector? And uh, also, do you have a number off the top of your head how many unique Barry Bonds cards are part of your collection? Yeah, I mean, I I definitely consider myself a Bonds super collector. And it's funny you ask um, how many I have. I got approximately 4,600 unique cards of Bonds, which is a pretty decent-sized collection. But I've been considering myself a Bond super collector since before I had a thousand unique Barry Bonds cards. So, <laughs> but that's before I really understood what a super collector was. But yeah, yeah, I do enjoy collecting them. Yeah, you certainly have an impressive Barry Bonds collection. Which again, if you want to see some of Nate's collection, you can check it out on social media. I know you've shown them off in the past on the YouTube videos, which, again, I'm harping on the YouTube stuff, but you can go back and watch old videos and kind of get information and see things evolve uh, in the hobby. So that's something that's always fun to do. Uh, Barry Bonds, I I find it fascinating collecting. Like, I collect, I don't, I can't stay as focused as you do with the Barry Bonds stuff. I collect, I don't even know what I have as a collection. I collect autograph cards. I collect rookie cards i collect graded cards i certainly have a focus on phillies being a phillies fan um which is you know i've always enjoyed being a phillies fan other than when you were celebrating in 2010 that that was a little heartbreaking (laughs) but um you know specific player wise like phillies wise i do collect chase utley cards but i don't i'll go out there occasionally and pick up some cards whether it's on ebay or comc.com which is a great resource for cards and i'll just you know add 20 to the collection and i'll toss them in a binder but i don't stay focused on them so how do you uh how do you stay so focused on just you know the barry bonds collection and i know you do other stuff but you definitely have something that's definitely that gets keeps you up to date on the bonds cards well i mean that's a great question and i mean for every big collector there has to be a mentor right and so i i i mean even though i'm very knowledgeable in the hobby i have a friend of mine that is significantly more knowledgeable than me in the hobby and he actually has a significantly larger barry bonds collection and if you watch my videos you'll hear me hear me talk about him a lot so he has taught me so much about the hobby and also i mean even though i have 4600 unique bonds cards there's always a lot more cards of him that I can find because he has probably 15,000 different cards out there to collect. So I don't even have a third of what there is available for me to collect from Bonds. So the focus is trying to be 
are trying to collect every card of his that's been produced that's minimum numbered to 10. I mean, if it's numbered to 10 or less, I'm not going to worry about it. And then there, there is a lot of cards out there that I could pick up, but I just decide not to just because there's so many cards of his still out there for me to collect. I mean, he's just, there's just a huge checklist for him. And I mean, anytime you have a superstar that played in the era that Bonds played, you're going to have a wide range of different cards and different things to collect. I mean, th there's stuff from all the way to the oddball 80s stuff. He was a dominant player throughout the 90s, so he's in vast number of insert sets and parallel sets in the 90s, all the way up into the uh, 2000s. And then um, in the last few years, I mean, he's had actually had a few new releases from all the different companies. So, yeah, I mean, there's plenty out there to keep me focused. And, and it's just fun trying to chase and find cards I've never seen or, or that I've always wanted. It's kind of mind-boggling how many cards are still out there that you don't have, considering oh, the guy man. hasn't played in more than a decade. Like, it's amazing the variety of cards they've made over the years and how much there is still to choose from. Yeah, and I mean, it's taken me 20 years to learn what's out there and what's available. I mean, they're... they're it takes time to learn about all the stuff that's out there from from the time frame that he played, which was 86 through 2007. I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the card, the, just the card manufacturers itself went through a huge renaissance in that time frame, and, and Bonds was a part of it. So there, there's a lot out there. Yeah, and I guess that kind of answers uh, what I was going to ask you next. You know, the fact that Bonds is retired, and I, I don't know what the deal is, but they do still produce cards of him, but not a lot if that makes sense he he's in certain uh high higher end products of baseball but it seems like most of what's released is autograph cards and they're a little pricey because they're usually numbered 10 25 no more than that um you don't see many base cards anymore but you know i guess if you still have a couple thousand cards to chase down from all the cards that are produced that's that doesn't become much of a problem it, it, you know the the Barry Bonds chase to add to your collection really, it's not taken a hit by the fact that they haven't produced all that many cards in recent years. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's actually the card companies are doing me a huge favor by, and, and this is coming from a single player super collector, but really the card companies have done me a huge service by not making new cards of him because it would definitely, um, you know, I mean, I'd be chasing all, all the new releases where there's so many old releases out there. It, you know, it'd be harder to try to pick up all the older stuff from his playing days. And really, his playing days are the are my main focus. Yeah, I'm sure if someone put out something, um, you'd you'd take a look for sure. But it sounds like you like a lot of that older stuff, which we'll jump into in a few minutes. But just wanted to bring up. So I'm sure you're well aware. Uh, that Barry Bonds is not exactly the most popular of athletes. I wouldn't consider him uh, a universally beloved athlete. Does that, uh, that ever bother you at all? Or does, has anyone ever given you a hard time? Like, oh, you collect Barry Bonds, he's a bum, this and that. Yeah, I mean, every once in a while I get like a rude comment on YouTube. But for the most part, people 
pretty much leave it alone. They, I don't think people want to upset me. People don't really talk, you know, say anything bad about Bonds unless it's like, ah, oh, man, you know, to, to be honest, I can't even think of the last time someone made a rude comment about Bonds to me. But I have had that happen before. And, I mean, if you know when you collect someone like Bonds, someone with a dy dynamic personality, someone that, you know, ruffled the feathers of a lot of media people, that people, you, you, you know that people are going to give you crap about it if you're going to go on social media and say, this is a guy that I collect. So that's pretty much to be expected. And, to, to you know, I mean, overall, I've experienced that at a minimum capacity. I mean, really almost very little have people given me a hard time about it. So Yeah, I was just curious because, uh, you know, we're talking baseball here, and I am – over the years, I've definitely shifted towards mostly baseball collecting. Uh, being a Phillies fan, I do collect that, but I like Hall of Famers. I, I, I don't discourage any type of baseball collecting. But uh, from a football point of view, I am a Patriots fan. Uh, just for whatever reason, grew up, a, grew up a Patriots fan back in the Drew Bledsoe era. Um, naturally, just continued being a fan. And... Uh, you know, obviously Tom Brady came into the league and he's had himself a hell of a career and the Patriots are, you know, been pretty good for quite a while. But uh, I do notice if I am looking at New England stuff at some of the local shows here in the Philadelphia area, you get a comment here or there, but there's a little bit of jealousy towards the uh, Patriots <laughs> in Philadelphia, um, especially based on a Super Bowl result, which at this point is over 10 years old. So I was just curious. I know at national events, usually nothing really no one really says anything because people are from all over. And with social media, you're going to get stuff here or there, no matter what. You could collect anything or everything, and uh, you're going to get someone from time to time that, you know, just feels like trying to upset someone. But I let things roll off my back. I was just curious about you because obviously bonds can be a hot topic, and you hear people talk about them this time of the year every year with the Hall of Fame vote coming up. And so we'll see how that continues to evolve over the years too. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if, if and when he makes it to the Hall of Fame, which I really think he will be a Hall of Famer, especially with some of the guys that are in there now. Yeah, and I wonder if that will do anything to his collectability or value-wise. Um, well, well, I, I don't know if it would have a big change, because I feel like most people you know, know who Bonds is and what he did. So um, people yeah, who are no. fame consider him a hall of famer and some people don't like him they're not going to collect him anyway so i don't know if yeah. it would change his value much it, it certainly wouldn't hurt it uh it, it will have a huge impact actually because last year when he got a vote of 54 percent his like all his rookie cards his um key rookie cards in a in a gem mint 10 at least pretty much tripled in value i mean you can't touch the prices now where you could get a year ago on all of it all that and uh, and a lot of his inserts too. I've seen probably about a twenty-five to fifty percent increase in what I'm having to pay for some of his tougher-to-find inserts. But I don't know if that's because that's the trend on the cards from that era, or if that's because it's bonds. It's hard to say, or maybe it's a combination of both. You know, I, I would think say probably, probably PSA set registries. PSA set registries seem to be affecting the hobby um, quite a bit, value-wise and you mentioned the Hall of Fame stuff, and I guess if he were to be elected to the Hall of Fame at some point, he would then, all his rookies and different stuff, would then be eligible for some of these PSA set registries, the Hall of Fame ones, and 
then people need to add them to their collections, so then people are out there shopping for them. So I guess, I guess you are right in certain aspects. It probably would uh, would increase his hobby value quite a bit. Um, I've noticed it with Jim Tomey uh, with these early returns. You know, it looks like at this point Tomey and Chipper Jones are both virtual locks to uh, be elected this year, and I'm seeing Tomey stuff kind of creep up a bit. Um, so I've been keeping an eye. Some of the new releases have him in a Phillies uniform, and it he hasn't been in autograph certified products much over the last few years. And I've noticed every time, you know, we have a new votes coming out, I see his price creeping up a little bit. So Hall of yep, Fame, that's... Hall of Fame can have an impact on the hobby. Yeah, that's that's nothing new. <laughs> that's been going on for years in the hobby, as far as like the Hall of Fame vote, and you see a spike in a player's card performance prior to, you know, any type of Hall of Fame vote. So another thing that you're into, you we've gone over your bonds collecting, but uh, 1990s inserts, it seems that you've been, uh, been into them lately. Not saying you ever got out of them, but I've seen a big increase both on YouTube and Facebook. You have a uh, group over there on Facebook, or you're part of a group, um, about 1990s inserts, and it seems like there's a renewed interest in it. Is that something that I'm imagining, or do you think there's an actual renewed interest in insert cards from the 1990s? There's, yeah, I mean, insert cards from the 90s, It's, I think it's like a nostalgic thing. Like, what, what I'm saying is, like, like, in the 1980s, you saw vintage cards go from, you know, nothing to decent value. And now you're seeing that with cards from the 90s because people that my that, that are my age that were, you know, collecting back in the 90s are now 20 years older, and now we have the income to buy those cards that we could never afford when we were younger. And so you're seeing... And, and then, of course, like we talked about earlier, people that left the hobby and that, that come back. I've, on my Baseball Card Junkies TV channel, I've talked with a lot of people that said that they've been out of the hobby for approximately 20 years. And now they're coming back, and so, you know, those collectors are chasing after those 90s inserts. But then there's always the cards that set precedent, and what I mean, like, like you see a card that sells for a lot of money out of a certain set, and then because there's, like, a lot of hype about that particular sale of a card, you get other players from the same set start to get popular and you know it kind of builds value in those cards as well just you know kind of like the 52 mantle kind of you know brought interest into the 52 top sets in addition to mantle as a collected player throughout the 50s and 60s so you see a lot of that with the 90s cards as well but there's definitely an increase in the popularity of those cards i mean i think in the last two years you're seeing stuff that was selling for 30 bucks, literally selling for 150 to $200, $300. I could give you some set names if you want to know specific sets that are doing that. But, yeah, just a complete surge in, in pricing on some of these cards. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, you see stuff that was selling for 30 bucks selling for 150 to $200 plus, sometimes $300, and you're like, whoa. Yeah, and I think God, part of that, that card up. I think you, certainly a uh, nostalgic factor is a big deal. Anytime you get a couple ten, a decade to two decades removed from something, you know, people start finding it again. And I feel like there's almost a resurgence in card collecting as a whole. 
I, I think there's something about the young guys in baseball right now. It's an exciting time in baseball. Uh, you have some just young, exciting teams, fun teams. The World Series the last two years has been, you know, really entertaining with some just really great young players. And, you know, I don't think cards are maybe necessarily back to the popularity, of course, of that boom in the early 90s, uh, late 80s. But I do see more kids becoming interested. And I think part of that um, is also the parents becoming interested again. And they're ones who were collecting back in the early 90s, mid-90s, even late 90s. So, like you said, the nostalgic factor, you know, people go, oh, I remember these. And um, I, I think that's definitely a key factor. Um, yeah, and, collecting and, also, and all that stuff. Yeah, and there's also a lot of set collectors as well. So if you get... Like if you get a tough to find '90s card, you're you, and you're a player collector. You also have to fight the set collectors. There was a card the other day, about two weeks ago, that a Bonds card that sold for 400 bucks, and the guy that won it, and um, the guy that won it is somebody that the people in the Bonds collecting community is not familiar with on eBay. So it was obviously a set collector that paid a huge premium for this card that was a Bonds card. It was not even a Bonds collector that won it on eBay. So you see a lot of that, too. You got the player collectors and the set collectors battling it out. Yeah, and I think and the interesting thing, too, is you look at all these brand-new products, and every single set is, like, they got one of ones, they got numbered to five, numbered to ten, numbered to a hundred, numbered to two hundred, three hundred, all, all that stuff, all kinds of parallels. And if you look at the 90s, you know, a lot of these cards sometimes are not numbered but even if they are numbered they're numbered to 500 a thousand still like you know you even have like the donner's elite cards in the early 90s which aren't huge dollar cards unless they're like great at gem mint but i mean those things are numbered to what ten thousand or something but uh there's still an interest and i even though some of these cards they produced more than they do of the current stuff I think so much of it over the years has been just stowed away in a collection or in a collection that was given away or sold off. And I, I do think a lot of the cards are kind of lost in a way, you know. Uh, I, it, it's not to the ex exact extreme of, you know, the 50s and 60s where mothers were throwing out their kids' cards that they beat up in bicycle spokes. But there is a slight aspect of that where I think, uh, you know, just because a card's numbered to maybe 500 doesn't mean there's 500 available they're not all popping yeah. up on ebay they might just pop around for sale occasionally yeah well, i mean here's the thing like if, if you're going from like 1998 and on and typically like 98 is where you really started seeing cards numbered to 100 more commonly so from like 98 on cards numbered to 100 maybe to about 2003 2004 somewhere in that era yeah, you're right. Those those cards that are numbered to 100 or less, they're all in collections. And even though they're, you know, it seems like 100 is a lot, you, you don't see them. You never see them. And then the, also, in the 90s, people were still hoarding wax boxes, you know, you know, like um, like in the late 80, late 80s. So there's a lot of wax that hasn't been broken still from that era. And so there's stuff still sealed in packs. So there's all kinds of factors involved with that. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of collections from the 90s don't surface. I mean, you, typically this might sound harsh, but there's one of two things that is going to make a collection surface. Either, one, somebody gets a divorce 
okay? Or t and, and then the, the collection has to be liquid, um, you know, um, sold off to, you know, because it has to be split, the proceeds have to be split, or two, somebody passes away. That, and that's when collection, because what, what you'll find is on a lot of these tough to find 90s inserts, all, you won't see anything for months, six months. And then all of a sudden, a whole bunch of cards that just show up, like just a whole bunch of them. And it's always from one seller. And it's typically a seller that's not even a collector of that player. So it's obviously someone that bought a giant collection from, you know, like a, divorce, a couple getting a divorce or someone that passed away. That's typically how you see it. So it's really interesting when they do come on the marketplace, the format in which you see them come on the marketplace. It's usually not collectors liquidating their collection. It's just fascinating to see how cards have evolved. You know, every era kind of has their own. You know, you have the 50s and 60s and 70s. Uh, you, you have the early 80s. Then you have kind of the abundance of the late 80s and the early 90s. And now you have uh, the 90s is kind of what we're calling it. But I, w I would say it's a couple of years into the 90s before you had a tremendous amount of inserts. And, uh, yeah. you know, that's kind yeah. of got its own little era now. And then you're going to yeah. have, eventually it'll be interesting, in my opinion, to see what eventually happens with the 2000s, the current day cards, all this stuff. Um, and well, we'll see I what mean, happens in 15 or 20 years. Yeah, I mean, the, the people that collect now, or the young people that collect now, the, it'll be nostalgic for them, to, you know, to, to what there's being produced now. And, that, and also, you got to remember, like 20 years down the road from now, all the cards that are numbered to 5 or 10 now that are plentiful because they're being released right now you know and, and you got all the uh, breakers that are breaking this stuff that stuff you're not going to see it surface in 10 15 20 years from now it's going to be hidden in collections so i mean every every era is going to have their wave of insurgence of popularity and it's i i mean even in the junk wax era at some point i don't know when but at some point it's going to have a, a surgence of popularity and um, I enjoy my, the junk wax era because I grew up on it. You know, I, I know yeah. that it doesn't have a tremendous value, but um, every now and then you get a box for like two or three bucks at a flea market or maybe a card show if someone's dumping a whole bunch of it. It's something fun about busting a box open and just laughing at some of the old players, the old names. Yeah. And, you know, it can be fun. You know, it doesn't mean there's a whole lot of value at it, but if you can get if you can have a half hour of fun for three bucks, it, that ain't bad. Not bad at all, Mike. Not bad at all. So you teased a little bit about some sets that are popular, and we're going to wrap things up here shortly, but what are some of those sets from the 90s that you've really seen take off? Oh, man. Okay, like the uh, Essential Credentials, then and now from uh, EX. Those, EX those what was ones. it, EX2000 or EX2001? Yeah, I forget what EX, they were called. Yeah, yeah, the EX. That was um, from FLIR, and, right? Yeah, well, in 1997, it was called 2000 EX, and then they then they just went to EX. Yeah, and then and then you got like the um, the uh, precious metal gems from Metal Universe. Those cards are really, yeah, I mean, man, those things are selling for a lot of money. And then you got like the um, the mirror, like from Leaf Certified, the mirror golds and stuff like that, like from 97, 96. Those ones are, uh, those sell for quite a bit of money, if you could find them. And, uh, like, just like some of the sets that have, like, blown my mind, there's this one set from um, Pinnacle, 
1996 Pinnacle. It's a Skyline set. And like when I when I was talking about setting precedent, like a, a card, you know, certain card setting precedent. I know the Michael Jordan from that set. It's a different sport, but the Michael Jordans sell for hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars. And now players like Bonds, that card used to be like a thirty-dollar card. Now you got to pay a hundred and fifty, two hundred bucks for that card. So that's another one. Um, and then, oh God, there's all kinds of. I've stuff been checking out, out some of, uh, based on your Facebook group, which I don't, I don't post as much in there as I should, but I definitely look at the post and it brings me back. I love like the flare showcase, people showing off different flare showcase parallels and it like brings oh, me back yeah, to those yeah. sets. And, yeah, the uh, ones numbered to a hundred, those ones sell pretty well. I mean those are not they're not super expensive, not like the EX and some of the other ones. And then like you know about the Crusade, the ninety eight Donruss Crusade. I mean those ones had relatively high numbering, but the the cards what they sell for to what the numbering in it is pretty high and, and especially because they were from 98 they weren't like uh, earlier re earlier year release but i think those sell for so much just because they're so damn beautiful those cards are absolutely gorgeous i like I mean, the, the shine uh, on i like the hot gloves as well i know yeah some the people hot gloves, showing them off yeah i mean those ones aren't super expensive but they're really i mean they're like 20 30 dollar cards but yeah, I just remember, you know, if you get you know the right year. I just remember, like, I don't know, it was probably, like, the early 2000s. They were, like, a lot of them were, like, a buck or two. Because I think there yeah. people just had so many, and they were, like, I don't know what to do with it. And now people are going, oh, kind of wish I had yeah. hung on to them. Some I, years, I say some years on those hot gloves aren't worth that much. But if you get the right year, they're they're going to they're gonna have some good value. I've so. been, uh, I've been lately... Um, checking out some of the Donner's Elite cards, not not so much like the mid '90s, but the early '90s, which they made a ton of them, but most of them are probably still in a warehouse somewhere on a pallet because they made so much in like '92 Donner's. Yeah, but, the, it's there's funny, probably more it's cases like, of that than human beings on Earth. But, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, like the '91 Donner's Elite, I think you got one per 52 boxes. So you'd have to open up 52 boxes of 36 packs per box, right? So you do the, the math on those just to pull one Don Russ Elite. And you're right, they're, have, um, they're, they printed so much of that stuff, probably half of it hasn't even been opened. And then the half that has been opened, you know, I mean, that, those, those were 50-cent packs back then. So if you got a kid that opened the packs and then the parents threw out the cards because people are still throwing out cards in the 90s so who knows how many of them are actually around but you could probably divide that by maybe 10 as far as how many mint examples are floating around yeah i just collected. um i remember them being like the first like really rare insert card that i i ever chased uh i know i got a kirby pocket out of a pack one time and my brother got joe carter my brother used to like joe carter a lot and this is back in like 1990 1991 uh I scolded him for that in 1993 at the end of that season <laughs> as a Phillies fan. But uh, I just yeah. remember always opening the stuff with uh, my dad and brothers and, like, the elite. Was, they were so hard to get. Um, we were fortunate enough to get a couple. So now when I see them, especially, like, 90, 91, 92, 93, I'll always check in on them. And then, uh, you know, I look at them, and another retro thing I've been following lately is actually the starting lineup cards that came with the action figures. 
Oh if, man, some of those. If you yeah, find those, those in like ones. gem mint, which is tough because they were put in those clamshells, so a lot of them come with bent corners. But that's pro- that's a sneaky set that I don't know if as many people are aware of yet. But those old starting lineup cards, if you can find them in really good condition of you know popular players, those cards hold uh, hold some decent value. So. I check them out once in a while, too, because I used to be huge into the starting lineups. And unfortunately, I sold off a bunch of the starting lineup cards uh, years and years ago. I still have some, but not as many as I used to, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, those some of those cards are really th- – th- those are like the good oddball things out there that you could collect. And if you know what to look for, yeah, some of those starting lineups, they're, they're tough to find, like you said, because they were distributed – in those clamshells with the toy. And then if people, if kids opened them, usually they were opening it up for the toy, for the action figure, and the cards were not kept, you know, they didn't take care of it, or in some cases might not have even kept the card where they did keep the figure. Another thing that you're really into, and these started in the 90s, is refractor cards. And I specifically want to talk about 1993 Baseball's Finest, the first edition of Top's Finest. Those refractors are absolutely stunningly beautiful, and two, really difficult to pull. They were one of those things. I don't even know if you necessarily got one per box, unlike nowadays where you get refractors in virtually every pack. But uh, I'm pretty certain you have a Barry Bonds refractor, don't you? Um, I basically have every Barry Bonds refractor out there that features just Barry Bonds on the card. (laughs) So, I mean, there are, there are a bunch of refractors that have, you know, multiple players on it, including Bonds, that I'm missing. But the ones that just have Bonds, if it's a refractor, I'll have it, including the 1993 Finest. I just love that 93 Finest set, and the refractors are amazing. That's just that's another one that now and then I'll, uh, I'll keep an eye out for. I don't necessarily, you know, look at it on a daily basis or even a weekly basis, but now and then I'll just start searching 93 Finest. And if you can find a refractor at a good price... It's worth jumping on because sometimes even the commons, I think, go in the twenties. You'll see, uh, maybe. Well, those more. are, yeah, those are probably set collectors, but they only like this might sound like a lot, especially for what those ninety-three finest refractors sell for. But they printed two hundred and forty-one, I think, of each one. They're not numbered or anything. That's just someone did the math. That you know they figured out how you know the odds of pulling a refractor divided by how many packs or cases were released and they figured there's about 241 of each card and yeah those those cards are absolutely amazing they're, they're, they are absolutely beautiful um I, I love how like on the older refractors when you have like an outline of the player it, the card itself is etched it's almost it, it, it has a texture to it even though the card itself is smooth Visually, it has texture to it, and the 93 refine, finest refractors, um, you know, depict that beautifully on their cards. Yeah, I love the look of them, and, you know, they still make all kinds of amazing refractors, but there's nothing to me better than a 1993 finest refractor. But yeah, some well, of those, gr- some of those is atomic one of the better colors. Some of those atomic refractors years later are incredible, too. But we could go on for hours upon hours. Nate, I really appreciate you joining me. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join the show. And once again, people can find you on YouTube, Tops85401, and also Baseball Card Junkies TV. I suspect you'll have some videos coming up, correct? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, Eric and I are trying to make time to make a video, a new video on baseball card junkies. But yeah, I'm always releasing videos on my Top 85 401 channel. It's a little bit harder on the baseball card junkies TV channel just because it requires the two of us finding time to hang out at the same time. But when we when we can do it, we uh, we put out as many videos as possible on that channel as well thank you guys for checking out this episode really appreciate it want to thank nate one more time for joining the podcast check out nate's channel tops 85 401 on youtube baseball card junkies tv on youtube you can check out my channel mike o on youtube and uh subscribe to the podcast on itunes google play soundcloud or follow it on youtube whatever you do i appreciate you listening Have yourselves a great one.